Yo, welcome to Voice Acting Up, a podcast where I interview working voice actors who are working their way up. I'm Sean Rohani, and today's part two with Brian T. Stevenson. We dive deep into his experience working on DC's Doom Patrol, among many other things, and just continue to be brutally honest about the thorny, meandering, euphoric, devastating, incredible world of voice acting. It can be tricky with auditions where it's just one line, because even though you can give a lot of different variety, it's hard to give, you know, a full spectrum of dimensions that you might be able to do for like a two-page audition. So yeah, yeah. How and, do you well, approach and, it? And, and, and in the slate, in the slate, I introduce them to the character before I tell I say what they want me to say, so that when you know when they when they meet the character, when they hear the lines, they're already familiar with the character mm-hmm. because I've already introduced them to that person. And that's not just saying, you know, this is me as the role of so-and-so. I will start that slate like it's a, like it's a, a, an introduction. Like, you know, hello. You know, well, like, like okay, so, so Doom Patrol. My slate was, hey, everybody, this is uh, Brian T. St- no, no, that's not how I started it. Wait a minute. Oh, hey, how you doing? Ladies and gentlemen, I just flew in from Miami, and boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this is Brian T. Stevenson, and tonight... I'll be playing the role of Herschel. <laughs> I'm on the World Wide Web. <laughs> and then I went into it, you know, because they wanted like a like a like a cheesy, you know, dad joke comedian that's always cracking wise and always has, mm. you know, like a bad knock knock joke. So I was like, okay, well, start with a bad joke. You know, um, he's a spider. He's a giant freaking spider, um, which you either love me or hate me at that point. But uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's I'm on the worldwide way. You know, it's like it's just kind of like and that and that grabbed him. That grabbed him more than anything else they heard. Huh. Uh, so that kind of stuff, you know, I introduced him to the character and then I rolled into, you know, knock, knock, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. that's that was part of the script. And and so they, you know, they were ready to hear what they had written because they had already met the guy. Yeah, I think that's a that's a key distinction because, you know, they always say about improv, like people wonder if, if it's okay or not. And certain networks, certain genres might be open to it. But I think the key is whatever genre you're doing, um, it has to be authentic to the character. And like you said, you, you improvised, you know, on your slate, but it came from a place that was based on the character, you know, like they wanted a dad joke and, and it was very real. It wasn't like you were intentionally trying to grab their attention by starting out saying different words than the other hundreds of auditions. Right, that right, they get. right, right. You I, know? you know, one of the, one of the things that Mick, um, I, I will never, ever, never not have anything wonderfully amazing to say about Mick Wingert. The, the man is my, I mean, the man is my friend. He's my brother. I mean, we, we, we get along so well and it just, we, we work off of each other so well. And, you know, you want to talk about being best buds with somebody who's probably your chief competition, you mm-hmm. know, um, our, our friendship is, uh, is kind of miraculous. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, the people are like, you guys are friends. You guys should be better in it. It's like, why, why, why? I, 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 I just absolutely adore the guy. <laughs> And I know the feelings mutual. I mean, the guy I've never had, I haven't had anybody help me out more than he has. Hmm. Wow. But, um, you know, he, one of the, uh, more on Mick later, I will, you know, (laughs) I will, I will, I will, I will wax poetic about Mick all day long. But he, he, one of the things he told me one time, cause I was, I mean, he, and I've never, I've never been in a room with anybody that's been harder on me in a good way. Yeah. And brought more out of me besides Mick. And maybe Charlie Adler, um, hmm. but but with Mick, 
you know, uh, he just, he won't let me, he won't let me be lazy. He won't let me get away with it. And, and one time he told me, he says, you know, he says, you're trying so damn hard to book the job. You're completely forgetting to play the character. And I think that happens quite a bit. Yeah. You know? um, I, and I catch myself with it. And I, I've got, I've got that, you know, the little quote for that quote from him. I typed it out and I hung it in my booth to where it says, play the character instead of trying to book the job, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I always, I always play the character now, you know, it's like, I will, I will make sure that I am, I am just freeing myself up to play the character. Mm, goodness. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Got a little, got a little, 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 little burpee there. I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> this mic picks up everything. <laughs> I thought it was another Barbara Walters moment, but no. Nope, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I, I'm getting choked up, but it's, it's, it's because of lunch. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you know, I mean, it's, and so to me, that's, that's what it is. It's always like, you know, don't, don't try so hard to book the job and just focus on playing the character. Yeah. You know, be honest and have fun, you know, um, mm-hmm. because there's enough uncertainty and enough, you know, hand wringing and enough, oh, I hope they like me. You know, it's like uh, that, that mm-hmm. you know, beating yourself up over it while you're in the booth is, you know, um, especially when we're in the vacuum we're in now. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, it. I mean, we were kind of already pushing towards that. Nobody goes in anymore. Most agents have gotten rid of their booth areas, you know, their booth directors or, or they're on a skeleton crew or whatever, even before all of this happened, you know, um, you know, I'm with AVO and they had almost, they had pretty much moved completely to everybody auditions from home Hmm. prior to this, which actually works out because then when, when all of this hit, most of us were already geared up and ready to go and nobody got caught unawares right? because there wasn't a place to go every day, you know, to, to audition when you're in a vacuum, like we are, you know, we're, we're home, we're locked away. There's, you know, there's no direction and there's no, you know, um, uh, and a lot of times, you know, with agents working from home, you know, they don't have time to sift through every single one of them. And with deadlines being so tight as they are now, because everybody can record from home and can send it in and they want it sometimes. I mean, I get stuff where they're like, Hey, I know it's noon. Can you get me this by four? Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, well wrapping up what I'm doing now, get in, do that, get that off. And there's no time to do a retake, you know? And a lot of times there's no, there's, there's no, no, no time for your agent to listen through it. They, you know, and, and which is, which is also kind of great when you have an agent that has that much faith in you right. to know that whatever you send them in is, you know, is sendable, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, I, I forgot what the question was. <laughs> um, I, I am tangent man. Um, <laughs> no, but you know, you're right. And, and also like, I think people don't realize how many, how much talent each big agency represents because if you go to their websites oh. they'll show the demos and stuff that is not even close to all the people they're representing um yeah so yeah you're right um and and when a casting director sends in something and says i can only take your top 10 that agent isn't just sending that audition out to the, their top 10 people mm-hmm. that agent is sending that audition out to maybe 20 25 people they may send it out to their entire roster that fits the bill but then they're cutting it down in house before it goes out. They're listening and being like, okay, do any of these sound alike or any of these guys overlapping or any, you know, and then if that happens, they've got it. So, you know, I mean, co- the competition starts in your own house. Yeah. Um, it's not just, you know, it's like, okay, well, I'm up against, you know, I mean, I'm up against these 900 other actors that are going to get submitted for this role or even say there's, you know, 25 top agencies and they only want to hear 10 you know, from each agency, 
you know, you're not just up against those 250 people. You're up against however many people your agent wanted to hear before whittling it down to their 10. Yeah. Um, as well as so, other rival agencies, you know, before they submit their all-stars from that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's, it's it's you know, I mean, so the best thing to do, I th- one of the, I think the first time I ever heard this was uh, was probably from Brian Cranston, where he would just like, you know, I, I audition, I go in, I do the audition, and then I leave. At that point, it's out of my hands. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not up to me to wonder why I didn't get it, why they didn't like me. He goes, they, they don't know me. Why would they like or not like me? You know, I'm either the performance they're they're looking for or I'm not. It's not personal, you know. And, and if I if I sit there and I worry about the one, you know, what I did on Tuesday, how in the hell am I going to be able to perform on Thursday? Yeah. You know, it's like I've got to be able to to do it, walk away from it. And then when the phone rings, you know, oh, oh, that I got that one right on. Cool. Okay, right. Let me go back and because a lot of times I'll be like, oh, really? I got that one. All right. Awesome. Oh uh, yeah, I'm available. Let's. I'm ready to go. Yeah. And then I'm like, now what the hell did I do? You know, <laughs> you have to go back and, re- and and find the audition and listen to it again because you're just like, I- I've I've slept since then and I've been 19 other people since Tuesday. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> you know. Oh man, I <laughs> I don't know why that reminds me of something that that I booked where they they wanted like a, a teenager. And I think the tendency is to pitch up when you're playing, you know, a teenager yeah. that's much younger than you. But I just thought, well, my cousin's a teenager and he sounds like Barry White. So I shouldn't even worry about that. And I'll just focus on the character. And then I ended up booking that. But at the session, they asked me to pitch it up. It's not like I intentionally tried to sound different than everybody else trying to pitch it up. But I wonder if that that distinction sort of stood out more uh, when they're listening oh, it, back to all these auditions. It can. It can. Um I, I had done a couple of uh, uh, Pat Fraley workshops years and years ago, um, and he would do guest directors. And um, Meredith Lane was one of the guest directors. Okay, uh, and she's ca- you know big casting director Nickelodeon. She does uh, does more freelance stuff now. Um, a lot of stuff for Netflix. <clears throat> but she said, if I'm looking for if they're looking for vanilla, and I'm not talking vanilla in performance. I'm just using mm-hmm. ice cream as a meta. As the this is the metaphor she used. Right. Um, if they're looking for b- vanilla, I will give them five vanilla, but then I'm also going to throw a chocolate and a strawberry in there, you know, because yeah. then, you know, that shows them, it's like, okay, you want this, this is what you say you want. And that's, and I'm honoring that, but maybe there's something a little different that you didn't think about. Mm-hmm. So on that, as a performer, you know, you take that and interpret that in, okay, read the specs play that character and then interpret the character your own way and play that character a second time for your second take. Mm-hmm. And so then you're honoring their wishes, but then you also get to show off a little bit. Right. And, and if they've got the time to listen to it, if, if, if you, if you are honoring them, held you held them enough, they'll listen to that second take and see what else you've got, you know? Yeah. And again, there's times you'll, you can book off that and, and not even play the character you auditioned for. Yeah. And it's um, I think it's just uh, very easy for actors to get into that mindset. You know, the the adage, it's it's selection, not rejection. But it can be tempting just being the lone actor auditioning for something. If you're proud of that audition to think, well, I didn't book it, but like, I know I did a great job. But if you realize the hundreds of people that are auditioning, like you said, you might be an excellent chocolate chip. 
but they've decided to go with vanilla, you know. Um, yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean that that audition was wasted time because, again, like we talked about, you're, you might get booked for something later down the road because of something you did in this audition. So you're not really auditioning for the character. You're auditioning for the casting director, I feel like. Exactly. And, and, and the number of times where I've booked something where I've auditioned numerous times for a casting director and then get called in by that casting director who also gets to be the session director, you know, who's also the voice director. Mm -hmm. And you get to walk into that session. And the first thing they say to you is, I have been working so, I'm so happy you're here. I have been working so hard to get you in. (laughs) And that feels really good because you know, they're hearing you, you know, that it's like, okay, wow, they're, you know, or, you know, I, I, I got a general at Nickelodeon, um, a couple of years ago. And one of the casting directors there, she told me, she says, if you knew how many times you're in my selects, your jaw would hit the floor. <laughs> oh, but, you know, yeah. and that feels good, man. That feels good. That feels so good because then you're like, okay, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm good at this. All right. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm ticking the boxes. I'm hitting the right, you know, um, but it's, 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 it's like a Royal rumble with professional wrestling. You know, it's like 30 guys are going to enter that cage, but only one of them's coming out with the belt. Yeah. And that's just the way it is, you know? And, and it doesn't mean that you're not going to get your shot at the title. It just means that this, this wasn't your fight. You know, this, this wasn't your round. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the 10,000 hours of success thing. Put in 10,000 hours and eventually you'll become a success. You know, you just have to stick to it. Now that works. And that's a great thing to, to crow when you're in a profession that's linear, when point A to point B is a straight line, you know, when you're going to be a veterinarian or you're going to be a CPA or you're going to be, you know, Mm -hmm. performing, acting, the arts. That line is such a squiggly line and sometimes it circles back on itself and overlaps and gets in knots and goes to therapy and needs, you know, counseling and, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, just, uh, yeah, I mean, just, you know, all kinds of stuff happens, you know, I mean, how many times you hear it's like, I was living in my car and then, you know, it's like you hear those kind of stuff, you know, it's like, and then all of a sudden your household name, you know, um, yeah. one of the things that, uh, that, that has stuck with me for a, a great many years, um, Something Keith Farley said, we were doing a, we did a, um, I used to be part of this uh, kind of a troop, you know, troop of actors. Um, Is it the Green Drafts you're talking about? Yes. Yes. Okay. I used to be a part of them and we we used to do um, workshops where we would invite in a guest director. And one of the times we invited in uh, Keith Farley. Hmm. And uh, he said, you know, he said, this is a, this is a fickle business. He said, there are people that will get off the bus and have a hit show. You know, walk in on their first audition and book it and have a five season, six season cartoon, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and we'll get on several other things doing utility voices because of that one, that one thing. And he says, and then there are people that will be in this town for 10 years working at it every single day. And they may be the most talented actor you've ever met, but just for some reason, they've never hit their moment. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the difference, you know, and I won't even say the difference, but the, the, the common, the common factor in all that is that the dues always have to get paid. Mm-hmm. You're either paying your dues on the front end, the middle or the end of the career, you know, um, it, whichever act, you know, that is. Right. Uh, and, and I, I, I use the word paying dues as, I mean, that's a very loose term. Um, but, uh, you know, you hear about, uh, like the actress, Kristen Johnson. 
from uh, Third Rock from the Sun. Right. Uh, her story was fascinating. Uh, she was given an interview about Third Rock from the Sun uh, while it was in its heyday. And she's like, yeah, I, you know, I, I got off the bus like two or three days from here, whatever. I walked into my audition and I booked the role. And that, that show ran for how long? I mean, I don't know, but that show was on for a long time. Mm-hmm. But then after that, she just almost disappeared, you know? Yeah. There, she was gone for a long time. And then, you know, I mean, I, mean, I think she's she's been working again pretty regularly and was even on a sitcom here recently for uh, as a regular. Um, but, you know, that kind of stuff, you yeah. know? Whereas then you'll hear somebody, it's like, they're like, oh, wow, this person's an overnight success. And they're like, man, I have been in town since the mid-70s. And, you know, I mean, I've been driving an MTA bus most of that time. Yeah. There is nothing linear about this. Now, now there are, you can strategize um, and you can, you know, you can treat it, you know, I know, and I do know actors that do, that treat it like a military strike Hmm. and they, they do very well. They have very, very nice, long, lucrative careers. Um, And, and that works for them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work for everybody, you know, it doesn't work for everybody. It doesn't, it doesn't fit into everybody's, you know, I mean, life, life loves to whip monkey wrenches at your head. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a, you know, if you can, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, and that's, that's just the way life is, you know, you're constantly like dodging stuff. I mean, you know, we, we went through, we went through two years of running from fire, you know, and at one point lost everything because of one of them. Jeez. You know, let me tell you, you want to talk about something that throws a bunch of rocks in front of the skateboard of life. That'll do it, you know. I mean, yeah. it's like, you, you wind up eating shit real fast, you know. It's like, and then having to having to get up and dust yourself off and be like, all right. And I mean, and that puts stuff on hold. We as voice actors have been extremely fortunate because work has been able to continue. Right. You know, very many performers went flat out unemployed. Um, Doom Patrol, Doom Patrol had to cut the season two short. They actually had to like they they didn't get to have their season finale. Huh. Their, their season finale ended on a cliffhanger that was just a nail biter because like five or six days before they were scheduled to wrap principal photography, they got shut down Jeez. and that what, and they weren't unique. Mm-hmm. You know, that was every production got shut down. Anything that was, that was not, um, you know, that was not voiceover basically got shut down and even studios got shut down and we were all scrambling to build up our home studios to be, you know, to be, uh, you know, broadcast quality. Right. Anyway, again, I'm, I'm tangent man. Um, you know, so, (laughs) but like you said, um, you know, some people treat it like a a military strike and and that might be helpful, but, uh, especially with entertainment, I've heard it from many people who are successful. Now they were taking all the classes, just devoting all their time and nothing was working out. And they were wondering what's going on. And and the teacher would say, well, you need to live life. You need to actually have life experiences too. And, you know, cause otherwise you're, you're just what your classes are. You don't bring anything else to the table. So like, you're a hamster on a wheel. Yeah. And, and you went through all these, these, you know, tough times with all the fires and everything. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence that since then, although I'm sure you were booking some of these before then too, you've, you've booked the more sort of multidimensional villain characters. Um, like when you go through experiences like that, it's not like you intentionally go through these life experiences so you can become a better actor, but they definitely do help. Yeah. Yeah. They, they definitely inform. Yeah. They definitely inform, you know, they inform and they shape and they, they influence for sure. 
And, and there's there's a lot to that. You know, there's a lot to that. You know, I, I, I see things on a lot of these community pages where it's like, I've got a chance to interview so-and-so. What's one question you would ask somebody that you admire that much about, the, you know, what would you, what one thing would you ask them? And I'm always like, ask them about their hobbies. Mm-hmm. What do they do outside of the business? What do they do when they're not working? Because to me, that tells me who they are. I can listen to, you know, you can, uh, you can listen to somebody wax on all day long about their career, you know, but, but who are they? Who is that person? You know, it's like really like what makes them tick? What, you know, it's like, I love hearing those kind of stories. Yes. Tell me about your journey, but you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pump those brakes pretty quickly whenever I'm talking to somebody, Mm -hmm. unless it's for, you know, something where that's the, that's the ultimate goal is to is to learn about that person's journey as 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 a as an artist as a right. creator as you know as a as a performer as a casting director as you know as, as as a multitude of things but i absolutely love knowing what other people dig like yeah. what are they into what what makes them smile what is the thing that when they're just like ah you know what <laughs> how is it the kids say I can't even today, you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> when, when they get to that point, you know, when they can't even, what do they do? Where's their, where's their Zen? What's their meditative state? What, what puts them in a happy place? Yeah. Yeah. And that's always, that's, that's, that's one of the things that I find, I find that way more fascinating than, yeah, hey, I booked all these jobs in the seventies and eighties and nineties. And, you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> right. well, that's all well and good, but you know, what did you do on Sunday? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I feel the same way 100%. And um, this is actually the perfect segue because we talked about life-throwing monkey wrenches. You're talking about hobbies. So I know you have Spy Monkey Creations uh, well. in making toys. <laughs> so I would love to hear more about that and how you got into that. Okay. Um, well, I will preface by saying I stepped away from Spy Monkey in December. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm not involved. I mean, I'm still friends with my, with my bros, you mm-hmm. know, um, with, with, with Matt and Jeremy, uh, I'm still great friends with them. Um, but they were taking stuff in a direction that I just didn't see myself following. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we had a few setbacks. It wasn't just them taking it in a different, taking things in a different direction. Uh, we, we've, uh, Spy Monkey's been mired in hurdles since the day we began. Yeah. Um, getting into business, getting into any kind of business with people that you you care about and love as friends and brothers uh, and sisters or, you know, I mean, people you consider family getting into business. Uh, it's rough. That's rough because if anybody's, you know, mind changes or doesn't jive about what's being done, it can, man, it can drive a wedge. It can mm-hmm. drive a wedge. And a lot of times the wedge is unspoken until it has blossomed into Something that nobody even remembers why they're upset. Yeah, yeah. Or um, until they hear you do uh, a villain audition and there's just a lot in there that wasn't there the there's week before. A lot in there. Yeah, there's <laughs> everything okay, Brian? They yeah. hear they they hear themselves on TV and you're like, oh, dude, no, 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 I don't. I actually actually don't do that. I don't I try not to. I try not to draw from my immediate circle. Uh-huh. But you know, I mean, um, I, I I stepped away from Spy Monkey. We had a we had a bunch of setbacks in the last year, but uh, but getting into it. It was just some guys that love making toys and creating things. I mean, I used to work in the toy industry mm-hmm. uh, professionally. I used to be a, um, I used to be a designer. My my educational background, uh, while not only being in um, in theater and 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 performing and stuff like that, mm-hmm. is also uh, before I had decided I was going to be an actor. 
the the plan B, um, which started as the plan A until I wanted to be an actor, was, mm-hmm. you know, um, I was into architecture and um, oh. uh, graphic design, mechanical engineering. Um, <laughs> I love taking I love taking things apart and figuring out how they work and putting them back together and trying my damnedest to make them better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I have to and, interrupt you real quick just because the, the coincidence is uncanny. But I, I went to college studying mechanical engineering and then left to try uh, to study architecture before yeah. going into film and animation. It's, yeah, literally the, the same box <laughs> oh, is ticked. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like when people ask me, like, Brian, why Lego? And I'm like, well, because it's, it's, it's just something that, you know, I, it, it, to me, I build. I build, yeah. I design, I create, and that's, you know, and I, I have to be doing something with my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and Spy Monkey was an outlet for that. For the most part, almost every bit of money that Spy Monkey made went right back into Spy Monkey in order to make more toys. And, uh, you know, we were, we were part of the Glio system, which is kind of a, it's a buildable system, uh, uh, like Lego, um, not like, like exactly like Lego, but that's just a, you know, Lego's kind of a, the, the, the next nearest thing, you know, it's a, it's a modular action figure uh-huh. and building system. Uh, and the guy that created that is generous enough to let the people who, who he gives blessing to use it, uh, use it without a licensing fee. Um, he's, he's very, everybody calls him toy Jesus. Um, Hmm. he's just very, uh, he's, he's a very, um, very selfless guy. So we started doing these, uh, we started by just creating weapons and accessories for our favorite six inch action figure lines. And we were doing those in resin. Jeremy was casting most of those on his balcony at his condo, uh, with a homemade pressure pot, you know, Hmm. uh, and pouring resin and, you know, two part epoxies and all kinds of stuff. Wow. And, uh. He started posting, so you know, it's, uh, he started posting some of the stuff that he was making uh, on some of the community forums for toys and action figures and stuff like that. And people were like, "Ooh, I want one." So he's like, "Okay, well, I'll make a few." Ooh, I want one. I was, you know, and one of our more, I would say, uh, business-minded friends was like, "Hey, oh, this is a thing we can make money on. Let's do this." <laughs> and he just wanted to be in charge while Jeremy did all the work. Mm. So Jeremy asked me to kind of help out. Uh, I need, I can't do this all on my own. And we, 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 we have a great working relationship as far as bouncing ideas and coming up with stuff. So then Jeremy and I started doing most of the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we, that went from doing resin to being able to move into these, this glio system and doing weapons that were then modular that could all be, you know, um, taken apart and rebuilt as other things like you know one minute it's a, it's a hammer the next minute it's an axe the next minute it's a it's a sword the next minute it's you know um it's a bird you know wow. it's like with big blade wings you know i mean it's like there's all <laughs> kinds awesome. of you know or a or a bat you know there's all kinds of stuff you could do with it and then we 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 went from that and we created our very first action figure line which was called the weaponeers of Monka. And it was a throwback to all of the 80s toy lines, you know, and, and cartoons that we loved, like Exo Squad and Transformers and Thundercats and Silverhawks and He-Man. And, you know, it's like just all that stuff, G.I. Joe, you know, it's like all the stuff we watched and loved as kids. Mm-hmm. We debuted that. And then there was a bit of a falling out and we lost one of our, our, our three. Mm. And uh, he... Uh, he went his separate way. I mean, it was it was it was not pretty. It was ugly. Uh-oh. Friendships were were <laughs> were lost. That's a um, bummer. And yeah, and it, it was heartbreaking. It was absolutely heartbreaking. He, he was the best man at my wedding, you know. Huh. Uh and so it was it was extremely rough. Mm-hmm. Um 
And so we moved on from that. Jeremy and I had had a had a kind of a you know a rising from the ashes year, and a fan of ours had become a good friend, and he joined and kind of became our third. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, if, you know, there's always there always needs to be three. The rule <laughs> yeah. of threes. So uh, so he joined us, and uh, we stopped making weaponeers, and we moved on to a line called Battle Tribes, which are a complete He-Man and the Masters of the Universe throwback. Uh, Remco, you know, Warlord and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and we started doing those, still using the Glio system. And, uh, and we've been doing that for, they'd been, well, we've been doing that for about five years. And then the pandemic hit and, uh, between the factory getting closed down in China for a, for a great long while, Mm. people becoming unemployed, having to live off of, you know, unemployment and stimulus, people just weren't buying toys as much. So, you know, our sales dipped considerably. Mm-hmm. And the the Glios mission statement that we had been brought up as was church, that kind of changed. Mm-hmm. And when that changed, a lot changed for Spy Monkey itself. I see. And it kind of it kind of folded in after that. Uh I just I lost I kind of lost my passion for it. Um and so rather than create a giant, you know, friendship ending explosion I thought it was best for me to just be like, okay, well, it's time for me to step away. I've been I've been at this for ten years, um, and that's and that's another one of those things that all kind of goes back to how are you different today than you were back then. Mm-hmm. Is I've spent a lot of my adult life helping other people achieve their dreams, while kind of putting mine on the back burner, or at least pushing mine aside, mm-hmm. and holding the holding the door so others can get through. Right, and. You know, I don't regret any of that. You know, I no again, nobody ever held a gun to my head and told me, you have to do this. You know, that was all a choice that I made. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I kind of, as I kind of approach midlife, I, I say, as I approach midlife, hoping I'm going to live to be a hundred because I'm 46 now. But as I approach that, that, that cornerstone, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm not going to have a crisis of any kind, but I think I need to reinvent I think I need to, you know, change some things that haven't exactly brought me joy, especially things that haven't really done anything but cost time. And that's what I was fe- that's what I was feeling with Spy Monkey was it was it was costing me time and the joy that I once got out of it had was had just, you know, had had not only dwindled but had become almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. And rather than lose my friendships and and the brotherhood that you know we had built over the years, it was better for me to just uh, step away and let them do what they wanted to do and what they what they saw fit and saw right to do, than to fight about it. Yeah, it's hard to walk away from anything that you that you really you really believe in and really put your heart and soul into. It's it's not an easy uh, it's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing at all. It's it's it, because you're you're giving up a part of yourself. You're giving a, a part of your identity. And that's not to bring it down. I mean, I in in the in the aftermath, I do know deep in my heart that it's the it was the absolute right decision for me to make. Mm-hmm. And in the long run, is probably better for uh, better for the relationships. Yeah, and and I think it's um that's sort of a a good strategy, regardless of of your career, to you know sort of do spring cleaning with with the things that that bring you happiness, and you know not the material things, but with where your time is invested. Um, yeah. Like you said, it's tough to, to step away from, but it's a decision that had to be made. Yeah. I, I've always been one of those two where it's like, I am, I am much more into and, and receptive to what people do to me 
than what people can do for me, um, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, the people have always been more important than the stuff for me. Right. And again, I think that goes back to my childhood, you know, as as men, you know, without trying to sound like there's any kind of like toxic masculinity attached to it or anything like that, because a lot of it's not being able to come to grips with this is kind of what creates toxic masculinity, in, in, in my opinion. We spend our whole adult lives trying to recapture or trying to attain something we felt we were denied in our youth. And for me, that's family. Mm. That's people who say they love you and absolutely mean it. Right. Again, like getting into this Barbara Walters territory now. <laughs> Quick burp. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's bring it down. Um, but yeah, you know, it's like I've always been trying to, you know, replace that relationship of 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 friendship and camaraderie uh, and brotherhood that I, I always had a belief that that's what a father and son should have. Hmm. And I've always, unfortunately, not, um, I mean, not always, but a lot of times I've, I've picked the wrong avatar for that. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just, you know, it's like always trying to replace that one thing I didn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but it, it, I just, I, one of the things that drew me to voice acting and I'll, and I'll, you know, I can wrap it around to this is that the community and the, the camaraderie that is advertised, um, the inclusiveness that is advertised is not a hundred percent that ride, but is more than it's not. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of that in, in this, in this community and in this industry, there's a lot of camaraderie and there's a lot of brotherhood and sisterhood, and there's a lot of family. Mm-hmm. You know, we just, we just lost somebody recently, um, in the community that, uh, um, that was, that was mighty, that was amazing. Um, and one of the few people that could get me to join anything, hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> he was an absolute sweetheart and he, and he, you know, he wore his heart on his sleeve, but he was so genuine. Mm-hmm. You knew who he was the minute you had a conversation with him and losing somebody like that, that is the epitome of, of, of everything that's advertised. It's heartbreaking and it's, it's tragic. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like when stuff like that happens, you also start thinking about your own path and your own perception and, you know, and how you're perceived. Mm-hmm. You know, why am I here? What am I doing this for? What is my end goal? And you really have to turn, you know, it's like there's, there's a turn in that as you explore those, you know, the answers to those questions. And, uh, and I'm, in, I'm in a place like that right now, mm-hmm. you know, um, on a great many things. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I don't ever want to stop being creative and I don't ever want to stop doing what I'm doing. But it is one of those things where it's just like I, I can never I can never sacrifice friendship or brotherhood, sisterhood, family. I can never sacrifice those things for stuff, you know, yeah. to be a little bit farther ahead in the race. Right. And sometimes that's that's been to my detriment. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes that is that has hurt me more than it's helped me. Maybe in terms of career, but not in terms Cur- of, you know, not yeah, personal not relationship. In, ter- yeah. in terms. Yeah. In terms of career, but not in terms of character. Right. Um, and to me, that's more important. You mm-hmm. know, um, it's it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, we're in voiceover. We're in voice acting. We're in, you know, we're in the one profession where everybody that you tell what you do goes, oh, yeah. Somebody told me one time I had a great voice and I always thought I could get into that and do it part time. And it's just like, oh, giggles, giggles. Let me tell you something. You are in for a world of surprise. Yeah. 
this isn't something you just dabble in. This is something you give everything over to and you have to put in the hard work. Otherwise, you know, it's like you get you get the question then where it's just like, oh, yeah, well, what have you done? <laughs> and it's just like I, I, I went through that for a long time. What have you done? And it's like, I looked you up on IMDb. What have you done? And it's like, oh, well, the number of things that I've done that I can't tell you about would blow your mind. Yeah. You know, because stuff happens where you get replaced by celebrities or, you know, stand-up comedians or, mm. you know, now, now, now TikTokers and, you know. Oh, please never say that influencers. again. <laughs> no, they're, know, they're, they're, yeah. in the, they're, in, they're in the union now. And great for those entertainers. I And I'm, I'm not disparaging those entertainers whatsoever. They are great. You know, it's great that they are going to be able to get the, the financial protections that being part of the union, of, you know, affords a performer. Right. You know, I wish that other professions like dancers and singers, and you know, didn't have to fight as hard to yeah. get into those kind of protections. And even voice, even voiceover, you know, we're constantly, you know, fighting for better contracts mm -hmm. across the board, you know, um, yeah. commercial animation, video game across the board, you know, as long as I've been doing this, it's been a fight. And uh, the water has now become full, you know, the, the pool, there, there, there's room for everybody. Yes. But, you know, when you've been in a position where you've been, per, you've been, you've been replaced by a guy on YouTube who opens boxes of stuff mm -hmm. on a roll and oh, you're man. just kind of like, wait, 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 what? That, that guy, you know, and you're just like, I, I, ah, ooh, ah, ow, ow, <laughs> yeah. ow. And they're, and, and, but now, now that's not to say that all people on YouTube who open boxes, that that's all they're about. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some that have extremely high pedigrees, you know, that have done the work, that have put in the hours and put in the light, that are lifers, you know, that, yeah. that that's just another creative outlet for them. So much like me working in a toy company, you right. know, it's another creative outlet for me that's fulfilling when I'm not being fulfilled in my main creative outlet. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you get the guys like, oh, yeah, he opens stuff on YouTube, <laughs> but he's an influencer. He's got like four million followers. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh OK. Is he an actor? Oh, no. <laughs> You're just like, oh, oh, OK. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and then it is. And that's when, that's when you go climb yourself in a hole and you lick your wounds for nine months, you know, yeah. just being like, why am I doing this? What am I wasting my time for? What mm -hmm. am I, you know, and I got to feel that, that that's, that's going to be, become something that's going to become, you know, more and more commonplace, well, um, you know, yeah. as the line, as the lines blur between what is entertainment, you know, what is performance and, and what is, um, what is algorithm? You know, yeah, it's an interesting point, and you know, I think that's a that's a whole other episode, yeah. Maury. You know, yeah. uh, <laughs> again, I am tangent man. <laughs> oh man, but you know, I've heard um, casting directors at workshops and stuff when talking about influencers and whatnot. Obviously, like you said, if they put in the work, that's great. But um, a lot of them don't, and and um, you know, I I think, and it shows in the performance. So I. If it shows in the performance, then that's going to falter the product, and and I think eventually well, they'll realize, I, all right, voice actors have put in the training. Let's let's yeah. bring them back on. Yeah, and a lot a lot of that doesn't come from the casting people either. Right, right. You know, the casting people are hired to do a job, just like we're hired to do a job, mm -hmm. and the casting people ha people have to do what their bosses and their their buyers have told them to do, mm -hmm. and so a lot of the time that's coming down from you know from the suits from the execs. 
you know, who are like looking at spreadsheets of, you know, like how are things tracking and this is what's tracking in a demographic. And so that's what you want to put in your thing, thinking that that's going to draw that demographic right. to your product. Um, so, I mean, it really, it really is not surprising that it's happening, but it's a head scratcher when you're, when the art is your, is your lifeblood, is your bread and butter. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, and, and, and it, and it can be, it can, it can be a little, you have, you have to be really, really careful about not getting bitter about it, mm -hmm. you know, about looking at it and being like, okay, well, that's just the world we live in rather than being like, well, I would have a career if it wasn't for this stupid industry. Right. You know, I mean, it's just like, well, if you're going to do that, you might as well get out. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, you can't really blame, you know, you can't really. It's one of those things, you know, don't hate the player, hate the game kind of a thing, you know, <laughs> but there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. You know, I mean, the game, the game can be very, very, very rough and ugly. You know, it has made some amazing people and it has destroyed some good people, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. And it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, you talk about thick skin, you know, it's like, I'm like a rhino on roller skates, you know, it's like, it, it is just one of those things where it's like, you, you, you've got to have a thick skin while you've still got to be vulnerable. Yeah. It's the biggest catch 22, right. you know, <laughs> you know, other than it used to be trying to join the union in the eighties, you know, where it's like, you got to be in a union project to join the union, but you can't be in a union project unless you're in the union. You know, yeah. it's like, it's like, well, how do you get in the union? Oh, buddy. You know? <laughs> right. Oh man. Um, I'm just, you know, I, I think I was just waiting. This whole podcast interview was an excuse to try to see if there will be a moment where Brian says, don't hate the player, hate the game. And, <laughs> and now that we Success! got that. <laughs> My work here is done. <laughs> oh, man. That wraps up part two of two with Brian T. Stevenson. Hope you enjoyed Brian's candor and vulnerability and the many tips that came from them. Like tip number one, focus on being the character, not booking the job. I mean, there's really no need to elaborate. Two, be honest with yourself about whether or not the things you're investing your time in bring you joy. As Brian got older, he realized that all the time he was spending building toys was not bringing him the joy it used to. It can be easy to feel you have to stick with something because you've invested so much time and energy, but if it's no longer bringing you any joy, that might be a sign to invest your time elsewhere. And three, don't let anyone advancing in voiceover faster than you make you bitter. The industry is always changing, whether it's allowing more celebrities or influencers to book roles without auditioning, or simply that other voice acting types are currently trending more than yours. Rather than be bitter about the changes, set yourself up for success by finding ways to adapt to them. And on that note, may all you voice actors keep acting up. <laughs>